Welcome to the Real Estate Secrets Podcast. This show is about sharing lessons in commercial real estate that were learned from trial and error and working directly with CEOs of billion-dollar healthcare organizations. Our mission is to teach the insider strategies used by the big guys to everyday healthcare operators in order to get access to the best real estate at the best prices. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Commercial Real Estate Secrets. I'm your host, Austin Hare. Our guest is David Debeau. He is a real estate entrepreneur and a best-selling author. He's based out of beautiful British Columbia. So, David, it's a pleasure to have you on the show today. How's it going? Austin, it is fantastic. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, Canada, um, our first, I believe our first Canadian guest that I've had on the show. So, I, were you born and raised there? I was, yeah. I'm born and raised. And as soon as you hear me talk for a little while, you'll hear an out and about come, come around. So the accent will kick in and everybody will know that I'm legit. <laughs> right. Yeah, I can hear that loud and clear. That's great. So, yeah, um, you've had a, a long career, successful career in, in real estate. So how did you go about getting involved in that? Yeah, well, thanks, Austin. You know what? I've been around real estate investing my entire life, but I didn't quite understand it. So when I was a kid, we actually lived in one of a unit, one of the units in a sixplex that my grandfather and my father built. So it was around tenants and stuff like that growing up. Uh, my mom built up a portfolio of about 50 oh, wow. uh, rental units back in the 70s and early 80s. Uh, saw all of that stuff happening, but I never really got into it until the early... 2000s. And coincidentally, I was kind of uh, doing something different. I was living down in San Jose, Costa Rica, where I lived for 10 years and uh, got married down there, had kids down there, had a language training company and first started kind of dabbling around in real estate, doing pre-foreclosure deals in Costa Rica of all places. Wow. I didn't even know exactly what the hell I was doing, but stumbled into it. And then in 2003, we moved to Canada, my Costa Rican wife and our two little Costa Rican kids and myself, and had to basically start all over again from scratch because, you know, I've been self-employed so long as pretty much unemployable. I hadn't been able to sell my business in Costa Rica, so I didn't have much cash. Well, I'd been gone from Canada. Was it, so, was it a, your business? Was the foreclosure business? No, my business was a language school of all oh, things. Okay. We, taught, we taught people how to speak English gooder. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's what I did for 10 years, but I dabbled in a little bit of real estate at okay. the end. So, and what but, were real estate prices like in Costa Rica? Like, I mean, oh, were that, they expensive or were like, they were much less expensive in the U.S.? And then Canada? Uh, well, I'm not sure about the U.S., but they're a lot less expensive than most parts of Canada. So, yeah, some, I mean, the, the crappy little pre-foreclosure type deals we were doing, we were able to get into those in dollars $40,000 range, buying the whole thing kind of thing. Um, the first, yeah. Uh, but you know, that said, I'm just remembering back the first house I bought in Costa Rica, I think was around 40,000, 50,000 us, but interest rates, and I got a really good interest rate were uh, 19%, um, for, for the mortgage kind of thing. So it, it was interesting times. That's for sure. Wow. Okay. 19% that, that is, that was a good rate. Wow. And so, um, doing that down in Costa Rica, is that what inspired you? You said you saw essentially what you were able to do with smaller. No, you know what, what happened Austin was I, I moved the family back to Canada, had to figure out a way to make some money fairly quickly and was looking at different opportunities. And then I saw one of those late night infomercials that 
you too can get rich in real estate with little or no money down. And I said, perfect, because that's what I got. <laughs> so I sent away for the course. It was from a, a gentleman, not just, just up the road from you, Ron Legrand in, in Florida, and uh, got his courses and binders and went through all that stuff and Canadianized a bit of it and ended up taking massive action, doing 18 deals in about 18 months to, to wow. get started with. Yeah, That's awesome. So, okay. So that, that was pretty much like, hey, dive headfirst into this type of situation. Well, there wasn't much of a backup, <laughs> much of a backup plan. So yeah, that was, it was that or work at McDonald's. That, that was about the choices at the time. Yeah. Okay. So um, yeah, what was that like? So you got, you got his program and then what, what did you learn and how did you apply that? Oh, well, I, I was always, I'd always been kind of passionate about the whole marketing side of things. That was what it really juiced me up with my business in Costa Rica was the marketing side of things. So I loved Ron Legrand's program in, in the sense of attracting motivated sellers. So all of the cool stuff that I learned from him about vehicle signage and bandit signs and, you know, uh, <laughs> back in those days, classified ads in the newspaper with circles around drawn in in them. So it looked like somebody grabbed the newspaper and actually circled your ad. All of these kind of cool things were a lot of fun, direct mail, all that kind of stuff. So implementing that, seeing the results that we were getting because uh, in my small local market, there wasn't much competition. So he was teaching these strategies that were essentially, you could apply them anywhere. You chose to apply them in your local market. And I mean, what, what was it like? Like how much success did you have applying this? Well, quite a bit. I mean, the, my local market at that time had about 80,000 people in it. So the fact that we were able to do that volume of deals in that, in that time was pretty good. Uh, now, fortunately, at, at the time that I was doing that, the, the real estate market was fairly stagnant. So we did have quite a few motivated sellers. Um, so, so it was easier to get those kind of conversations versus you know, in, in a hotter, hotter market. That's for yeah, sure. So how did, so did that compare like then to now? Well, I, I'm not doing that strategy anymore. So I've, I've transitioned. I took a few years off from active real estate investing, kind of connected with an up and coming real estate guru up here. I helped him grow his, his training and education company uh, for four or five years. Then I jumped back into real estate in 2010 and started doing something different. I was doing client first or tenant first rent to own deals. So we find a really good tenant buyer, go buy them a house and then lease option it to them for two or three years. I did that for a few years. And then in about uh, 2013, switched gears and started getting into uh, multifamily commercial residential type properties, but more as a passive partner versus the active partner. Because I realized along the way that I kind of suck at dealing with tenants and toilets. So I'd rather not uh, not be involved in that side of things. Right. It would be what we would call a limited partner instead of the general partner. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And in certain cases, kind of like a syndicator. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, and then um, when did you decide to kind of branch out and do this on your own? Do the whole capital raising thing? Yeah. 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 Or well, yeah. That, that Like many things in my life, Austin, that came from personal, painful personal experience. So I remember, you know, when I, I started doing those client first rent owned deals and instead of doing creative, no money down type deals, I was actually buying houses for people. So by that time I was able to swing buying the first couple on my own under my own financial steam, but then I ran out of cash and credit. And that's when I needed to start raising money and I had no clue. And all I had was a lot of 
what I call misinformation and from the real estate space about how to do it. So I'd heard, hey, find a good deal and the money will magically find you. Well, that ain't how it works, right? You got to get the word out there somehow. So I'd also heard, hey, need to raise money fast, pick up the phone and start dialing for dollars, cold calling people like the Wolf of Wall Street and all that kind of <laughs> stuff. So tried that, sucked horrendously at that. Got my poor fragile little feelings hurt too much with too much rejection. So I didn't do that very much. Uh, also heard, hey, turn every conversation into a real estate conversation. So I tried that. Sucked at that as well because I was I had a deal on the go. I really needed to raise the cash. And I 2020 hindsight, that desperation just kind of oozed out of me. So didn't yeah. raise any money there. And then I uh, came up with a brilliant idea. Well, hey, this deal's so good, it's going to sell itself if enough people see it. So I spammed everybody I could think of with my deal and basically just succeeded in ticking a lot of people off and turning a lot of people off. Ended up losing that deal. And that's when I shook my head and said, hey, uh, that's not a very intelligent way to go about raising capital. Why don't you apply what you understand about marketing? And instead of chasing after the money, figure out a way to get investors coming to you. So by hook my crook, I came up with this thing that I call the uh, money partner formula. Worked really well for me. And thankfully, it's worked really, really well for, uh, at this point, thousands of other real estate investors around the world at this point. That's cool. Okay. And so, like, how much can you tell us about the money partner formula? I can tell you lots, but we don't have that much time. So I'll give you the, the 30,000 foot perspective. Uh, so basically, I've broken the process down into five steps. And step number one, you know, and, and again, Austin, just to clarify, right, this is not for people that are already raising millions and millions of dollars. This is really ideal for people that are just getting started with the whole raising capital thing. They don't know where to get started. So first thing is mindset. And that is to understand that you want to raise the capital first before you go looking for the deals. At least I find that to be more effective versus doing what I tried to do before. So line up your investors first, then go find the deals. Then you know you got the money to back you up. Uh, the second big concept is focus at the beginning, at least on people who you already know, because just think about it. In order for somebody to invest with you, they need to know you, like you, and trust you with their money, right? A lot of people screw up and they go out to the general public. They try to raise money from anybody and everybody. And, you know, strangers, they don't know you, they don't like you, and they sure as heck don't trust you with their money. Why are they going to invest? Plus, then you've got this pesky little thing called the Securities and Exchange Commission, uh, and each state has its own regulatory body. And basically they say it's illegal for you and I to raise capital from the general public unless we're licensed to do so, or unless we've got an offering memorandum, or unless we've got our corporations structured in a certain way with exemptions and all this kind of stuff, which tends to be kind of expensive if yeah. you're trying to buy a fourplex or a single family home or something like that, right? So so where do you need to start in order to, for it to be logical, in order to stay within the rules, uh, the, the best place to start is with people that you already have that pre-existing relationship with. So friends, family members, close business associates, people who know you and who you know as well. So step number one, Austin, that's a long-winded way to say it, is create a target group of prospective investors. I'd say 150 to 200 of them and laser focus on them. Okay. So and you're, and so the thing is, everybody has within their network um, at least you know 150 200 people that they can generate these leads for, like the contact information for. 
Yeah. So basically what we suggest is don't try to think up 150 or 200 people. That's a big job. Instead, do a data dump of all of your contacts from your cell phone, your email addresses, your social media, all these different places, get them into one place and then whittle it down to 200 people. That's, right. that's the smart way to do it. And then don't make the stupid mistake I did, which is blast out and say, hey, it's Dave. I got a deal. Have you got any cash? Uh, <laughs> doesn't work too well. So what you want to do instead is is break the ice, reconnect with these people on a on a personal level first and, and do it strategically, do it intelligently. Uh, and the way we recommend is just a, a very simple email campaign to those 200 people. So you reach out to them, non-salesy, non-threatening, and just you know catch them up on what you've been up to for the last three, four, five years and ask them to you know, reach back to you and let you know how they're doing as well and, and have a genuine reconnection before you start the marketing. Does that make sense, Austin? Yeah, that's smart. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. So that's step number one, target group and reconnect with them on a personal level first. Step number two is make sure you're ready to go with a good investor presentation. Because what we need to remember <coughs> is, and I'm sure you see this all the time, Austin. I'm sure you've seen this a lot with a lot of your clients, actually. Um, not everybody's a real estate enthusiast. Not, not everybody's into this stuff as much as we are. So if you assume that the other people are real estate enthusiasts, you're making a big mistake. So keep it super simple. Uh, paint the picture. Don't get too complicated. Don't do a data dump on people. And basically the job of your presentation is to see if there's interest. And if so, get things started, like an expression of interest, letter of intent, something simple like that. And then get a group of investors lined up, ready to go, get your investor ducks in a row and so that you can go out and you can start making offers on properties. And then once you get a property tied up, now you know that you've got a small group of investors who've already shown interest and that's where you're going to be raising your capital from. Yeah. yeah. So that's step number two, have that investor presentation ready to rumble. With step the investor presentation, like you haven't identified these properties yet. So, I mean, what kind of things are you putting into the presentation? Well, yeah, good question. So first thing we're putting in the presentation is the main strategy that you're focusing on and the main market area that you're going to be focusing on, right? Otherwise, if you give too many different options, you're going to confuse people and the confused mind says no. So focus on one strategy, ideally one area, and then use a case study or two to show them how it works, typically speaking. Right. And again, uh, keep it pretty simple, pretty high level. And remember to keep it focused on what's in it for them as a prospective investor versus how smart we are and how successful we are. That, that should come through just kind of naturally, but keep the whole thing really focused on what's in it for them. And then another tip is um, I really firmly believe that you should show people the benefits as well as the risks of the investment. So they can go into things with their eyes wide open. But when you're talking about the risks, also show people what you do to minimize and mitigate those risks should they happen. Mm. Does that make sense, Austin? Yeah. Yeah. So that's, uh, yeah, that's step number two. And then step number three is crank up the marketing. Constant, consistent communication. Uh, we recommend that our clients are reaching out to their list uh, once a week is pretty good uh, frequency. Different kinds of things. It can be electronic newsletters, blog posts, video logs, those kind of things, just to, again, provide some what we call edutaining 
communication there so you're not overwhelming people with too much data. Keep it light. Uh, lots of pictures are good. Examples of your deals are good, showing you in action. You know, in your case, traveling around, looking at all these cool properties. That kind of stuff is is very very effective. And then always have a call to action at the end of your at, at the end of your marketing as well. You know, people say, Dave, how do you get investors reaching out to you and booking meetings? It's easy. I tell them to. <laughs> and some of them do. Right? So have a clear call to action at the end of your marketing. Any questions about that stuff there, Austin? Yeah, that's um, that's perfect. I think this is very helpful. Mm -hmm. And step number four is all about demonstrating that credibility and authority being seen. You don't need to be seen as the next Robert Kiyosaki with a gazillion selling best-selling book or anything like that. What you want to be seen is you want to be seen as a real estate authority or real estate expert in the eyes of your target group of prospective investors. And there's lots of ways that you can do that. Simple stuff like just dressing the part when you're talking with somebody about their money, dress up a little bit, get show them respect, get respect back from them. Speak knowledgeably about your strategy and your market, big picture ideas there. Uh, have sharp looking materials. Don't go cheap on the business cards, you know, uh, have really sharp looking materials. Then if you want to get fancy pants, then you do smart stuff like you do and get interviewed on other people's podcasts, interview people, those kind of things, get, get that kind of exposure. Yeah, that's great. That's, um, it's all, it's all just, you know, when you say it out like that, it's very common sense school, but it doesn't mean that it's easy to understand. Like tr the truth is always commonsensical in hindsight, right? It is. Now here's the other thing, the advantage you have over a lot of other real estate entrepreneurs, Austin, is you were in business for yourself before you got into real estate. Like you had your, your fitness studios. So mm -hmm. you understand marketing from a business owner's point of view. However, what we found is a lot of what we call mom and pop real estate investors, they're part-time real estate investors and quite often full-time employees and marketing and, and sales aren't necessarily their forte, right? So that's right. what we bring to the table is, is we show people, here's, here's what you need to be doing, or here's what we suggest you do, to get things up and running when it comes to attracting investors and raising capital. Mm, yeah. And then, so that's, was that step five? I lost, I was taking notes here, but I lost track. <laughs> yeah, that was step number four. Step number five this is what we call the snowball effect. And I'm sure you've seen this in many, many different ways and different businesses and whatnot. But once you've got one or two investors on board and you're doing a good job for them and they're happy, it's much easier to get more of them with number one, really good testimonials, ideally video testimonials, and number two, warm introductions from them to their friends and their family members, because they tend to know other people with money. So if they're happy with how things are going with you, you can now start to tap into their network. And again, you do that through uh, testimonials and warm referrals. So that, that in a nutshell, 30,000 foot perspective is what we call the money partner formula. Yeah, that's brilliant. And so, um, yeah, because you're not, you know, you're not trying to conquer the world, right? You're just trying to get started. And so it's a great step to get started uh, because a lot of people, I think, taking that first step is the hardest step. And so, it is. It is. And what we found is for a lot of our clients, you know, they, they've got access to between one and two million dollars in capital just from that source, from those pre-existing connections. So, why not start there? It's just the logical place to start. It's the fastest capital. Quite frankly, it's going to be the easiest capital because they already have that pre-existing relationship. 
right? They already know you. They already like you. Now we just have to work on the trust factor, getting them to trust you with their money. So uh, we found that it's worked, it worked really well for me and it's worked really well for a lot of other people as well. And so then how do you marry that with the other side, which is, you know, the deal finding, the deal origination? Yeah, well, again, we at this point focus 100% on the money origination, the deal origination, that's going to be different depending on what they're doing. So for example, the kind of deals that you guys do are completely different from somebody who's flipping single family homes, right? So the, the marketing is going to be quite, quite different for that. Uh, people that are focusing on multifamily apartment buildings, that's going to be different marketing versus somebody that's, you know, uh, wholesaling deals. So it really depends on what strategy they're doing. There's, there's definitely not a one size fits all. Mm. Okay. But you do need to be doing both at the same time, right? Yeah. It's not yeah. one or one or the other. And ideally, you should be doing both consistently, finding deals and finding investors on a regular basis. Right. Um, so what, what kind of deals have you seen go through like that are the most successful? Like, do you have any uh, kind of cool stories that you can share, success stories? Of clients? Yeah, clients, both in terms of like raising money and then what the deals that they purchase, like the real estate that they purchase as well. Oh, man. Yeah, no, we've got tons of tons of great examples of, of clients. Um, one that comes to mind is a client of mine that uh, focuses on kind of like workforce housing. So I know you've got a lot of experience doing Airbnb stuff. He does longer term furnished rentals. Mm. So he's kind of in a smaller town, kind of a industry-based town. And because he rents out his, his properties that way, he actually rents them out by the room, kind of like Airbnb. But instead of being one or two night stays, they're typically three to six month stays. So he's able, because he focuses on that strategy, to basically get five to six times the cash flow from the same property as he would if he if he rented it out to a single family, for example. So oh, if he's got. And so, how many properties does he have now? Number of properties. Oh God, I think he's got thirty or forty properties. Wow, that's great. Um, anywhere from a condo all the way up to small apartment buildings that are all furnished rentals, completely focused on on workforce housing. So that's one example. They're all in the same area, all in the same town, small town. It's so it's only it's a small city. It's about uh, sixty thousand people. Is there something unique about that city that makes that, um, you know, so lucrative there? Like, is there a, a certain type of company that is like has transient workers? Oh yeah, it's big. It's big in the oil industry, okay. oil and gas, oil. And, so it's kind of Canada's version of Texas. <laughs> <laughs> nice or, or something. And um, no, I personally, I looked into that actually during COVID, like I looked into, you know, doing kind of like traveling nurses and stuff like that and converting it to like 30 day at a time, fully furnished stays. Um, but luckily the travel just never really stopped. It just shifted, you know, it went from people who had travel books from all over the world to people who were, who had now drive, they still wanted to get their vacations in. And yeah. they're just, we got a lot of people just drive from Florida to come in and, and book our places because we have you know, they're like fully, they're full houses. They're on the lake and they're, and they're yeah. and staycations. Like yeah. Right? So they're yeah. able to just like quarantine and vacation, you know, at the place. So, um, but it's, yeah, it's interesting because I, I did look into that. And so I just, um, it's, it's cool that he was able to make that process work because in a town that small, like 
you have to have, you know, a town like I live in Orlando, there's three million people. Of course, there's going to be plenty of opportunities for, you know, part-time transient work. But if it's small town, it's a little, it seems like a little bit riskier. So it sounds like he might have a monopoly on that market almost. It's surprising he doesn't. <laughs> he's, he's a big player in that market, but he doesn't have a monopoly. Now that said, in his particular case, it is very industry specific. So when when oil and gas tanked, his business suffered a lot, right? Because you know workers and now there's not not anywhere near as many workers and and things slow down a lot. However, because he's got those kind of properties, he can he can shift, he can pivot. In fact, some of the cool stuff he did, he turned some of those into Airbnb rentals. Oh, he did? So he wasn't able, yeah. If he wasn't able to rent them, you know, whatever he needed to do, he's able to do. Other things is he could he could pivot. He could turn some of those units into uh, kind of like seniors housing, right? Because they're fully furnished. They're ready to go. You can, you can switch things over into that. So it does. And plus, either way that you go, it's still a much higher uh, kind of a revenue than it would be renting a, a property out as a single family home. That's yeah. great. So, and then do you see any commonalities between the people who have the most success in terms of niches? Like, are they getting particular, like, find, do you find more often than not, maybe they're investing in duplexes or quadplexes versus single family housings? Like, do you see any themes there? Well, right now I, we, we see a lot of people doing the Burr strategy. So taking a single family home and adding a secondary suite to it. That's, uh, that's a popular strategy. Uh, we see people doing small multifamilies. That that's another, uh, or doing a burr with a small multifamily. But yeah, no, there isn't there. There really isn't any one magic formula. That's that's the cool thing I've seen, Austin. I've seen people, you know, kicking butt with pretty much you name it. Anywhere from single family home rentals to burrs to small multis, larger multis mobile homes, mobile home parks, self-storage, commercial, commercial residential, uh, tax liens, tax deeds, <laughs> notes. I mean, pretty much anything in, in the real estate space, somebody is successful at it. Uh, it's just a matter of making sure that you you know what the heck you're doing and, and you're finding the right strategy for the market. Yeah. Or the market or the right market for the strategy, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, no, that's great. So yeah, it's super interesting. I mean, um, I hope for everybody listening that they were able to get some great takeaways because that's a great way to get started. I mean, those are like five basic easy steps um, in order to raise money, which is <laughs> which is super important in, in the in the beginning. So um, if people like what they hear, they want to get in touch, they want to continue their education, like what would be a good next step for them? Well, Austin, I've spared no time or expense putting together a sign for you. So here you go. <laughs> InvestorAttractionBook.com. I've written a book called The Money Partner Formula. There it is right behind me. And I will trade it to your viewers and your listeners in exchange for their name and their email address. So if they go to InvestorAttractionBook.com, put in their name, put in their email address, they'll get a copy of my book and they'll be in my sphere. And that way they can find out more about what we're doing, our workshops, our done for you services, all that kind of good stuff. I love it. I love it. Well, great. So I'll, I will go ahead and I'll write that in the show notes as well. So everybody listening, you know, you feel free to just click on that. Um, but this was awesome. So thanks for your time. I really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure talking with you and getting to know you. Likewise, Austin. Thank you very much and keep doing what you're doing. I love what you're, what you're up to in your niche. If you need help finding the perfect location for your practice or you're ready to invest in commercial real estate, email us podcast at leadersre.com. 
That's podcast at leadersre, R-E as in realestate.com. Or go to leadersre.com and fill out our form. See you next time.